Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 180, The Wheel Never Stops Turning. This week we're discussing the broader themes and character development of season 2 of Battlestar Galactica and season 6, episode 15 of Buffy, As You Were. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, we're uh, starting off with the uh, BSG Season 2 recap here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I know you have, as you often do, some production notes. So, why don't we get started with those and then we'll, uh, we'll move into some other stuff. Sure. Um, I don't have a ton of stuff, but um, wanted to uh, point out some sort of, you know, acclaim as is, you know, a fun thing to do. Um, And now again, that this uh, second half of season two kind of overlaps with, you know, uh, the first half of season three in 2006. So, you know, they're, they're taking place in the same year. So there's some kind of overlap here. Um, but you know, the first season was well received and I think the second it seems was as well, um, downloaded the episode, which we might talk about later in this discussion, um, got singled out a couple times, um, for a gold derby award for best drama of the year, um, best drama episode of the year. And also, uh, was nominated for Hugo. Um, and as we know, uh, the girl in the fireplace won that year. So, uh, took the crown away, which is actually the second year in a row that it, you know, was nominated and lost to Doctor Who slash Stephen Moffat. Um, so kind of <laughs> funny to see them kind of in competition with each other. Um, sure. And then also um, Edward and James Olmos um, had a couple nominations for an ALMA award and Scream Award. Uh, for most heroic performance, which is funny, hmm. um, and does uh, it say, is it for a specific episode or just? I, I the think just season? for the season. I didn't see that a single episode was was uh, singled out, but I could be wrong about that. Um, and uh, Scream Award nominations uh, also for breakout performances by Trisha Helfer and Katie Sackoff as well. Um, and then some Saturn Award nominations uh, for Jamie Bamber and uh, and the the TV release on DVD for season two. Um, and then, you know, a bunch of, you know, magazines and everything, uh, you know, listed it among its best shows of the year, like um, AFI, Time, Chicago Tribune, Entertainment Weekly, Metacritic, Arizona Republic, uh, Newsday. San Jose Mercury and TV Guide. So, you know, again, you know, I feel like this is 2006. This is still fairly early in um, the kind of what we think of now as this golden age of TV when TV started to get good. You know, there was like, you know, obviously Buffy and some things had been out way ahead of the pack, but I feel like this is around the time that, you know, uh, television's becoming a little bit more sure. respected and especially for genre things, you know, um, the sci-fi channel doesn't always get listed in the best, you know, shows right. of the year. Um, but here's BSG sort of 
holding the torch for, you know, quality sci-fi on TV and everything. Um, so kind of cool to see that it gets, you know, recognized at the end of its seasons and everything. Yeah. So that funny you bring up like the whole golden age of TV. I mean, I'm I mean, I put sure that where... in scare quotes kind of, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? No, and, and like obviously – like, you know, I'm not like, that's fine. Like, I don't, I'm not necessarily disputing. Um, I, I, I'd be curious, like, if there is, if there's been like, because we're still kind of in it, right? Like, or, or have we jumped the shark at this point? Like, I don't know. Um, um if well, you're now referring we're, now to your... we're in what they're calling, uh, I've seen it called the platinum age, but, um, but oh, of more course. often you see peak TV. And, you know, and, it's sort and, of, yeah. Right, like the peak of the jump over the shark? Is that? No, like peak, no, like no. peak, like I'm there's so much, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, um, I'm, I'm joking. I, so, you know, and I'm thinking about like, I might get the timing wrong, but isn't this where like, you have like HBO shows like The Sopranos are big, or was that even mm -hmm. earlier? Um I mean, and like I think when was a little earlier, but leading, but like basically at this time, yeah, yeah, like sure, the like, Sopranos and the Wire and Deadwood and all that kind of thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's maybe like first wave, like golden age, right? And and you have, but like I, I'm not saying any of this to dispute what you said. I I just mean it as like I'm trying to place it in my own brain as like when all <laughs> this is going down because, like, I still wasn't watching. Battlestar at this point like mm -hmm. so it's hard for me like similar with Buffy although I feel like I have a better handle on when Buffy was because I was more aware of it right when it was going on like I, I remember being in college and Buffy being on and sort of scoffing at it and people being like no no it's really good and me being like yeah yeah right whatever mm -hmm. but like I don't remember that same thing with BSG it was it was still a couple years I think till I really mm -hmm. got to the point where I I caught up with it and then was like, oh, okay, I should have been watching this all along. Um, right. And I guess in terms of eras, even though they're kind of silly and only really apparent in retrospect and everything, like the difference for me is I feel like my impression and probably for most of us who weren't into Buffy when it was on, the impression was kind of that that was that some it was more of a cult thing that like oh some people are into this but it's kind of goofy and you don't really like you know uh it didn't necessarily uh seem like quite as respected at the time you know i think it was more like in word of mouth people came up to you later and said no actually this is really good and you should be seeing it and everything whereas i feel like when i think of like what they call this golden age of tv with like the HBO shows and the AMC shows and all that is like maybe by 2005 or six or later, those shows had actually started, started to become respected while they were on that. It wasn't just like, sure. Oh, you know, like maybe the sci-fi channel was still a little, you know, uh, I don't know, niche, but you know, if you were paying attention to these end of year, what's the best thing on TV lists, it became, okay, TV isn't just the kind of 
ugly stepchild to the movies, but like, oh, they're, they, people are actually doing, you know, movie quality storytelling in their TV shows. Um, mm. Which I feel like before that, that wasn't really like a thing that a lot of people would have said. Not that it couldn't have been true, but it wasn't a commonly held opinion. I feel like it was more like in that mid aughts that it started to be like, you know, the wire or breaking bad or whatever is, you know, as much of a cultural conversation piece as what's in the movie theater. Um, mm. You know, and I feel like BSG was maybe a little bit more of that conversation, even if not a ton of people watched it. Um because they didn't. I mean, I didn't look up viewing figures, but it wasn't. I think it was successful for the Sci-Fi Channel, but it's not like right. It wasn't well millions and like you know, it had pretty modest viewing rate ratings. I but, think. But I also feel like that's the same with Buffy, though. Like it, it sure. wasn't popular. It like if dead. you're looking at it from like right, you know, the perspective of everything that people watched on TV, but. But it was like the flagship show for like the WB, and then certainly for the UPN when it when it moved right. over. So, right. um, yeah, I don't. I mean, right. I guess anyway, I feel well, like in there's so there's a book. Alan Sepinwall's a TV critic. He wrote this book called "The Revolution Was Televised," which I've read most of it. I've avoided some chapters for things I haven't seen or haven't completed yet, so I haven't totally read every bit of it but he kind of picks out what he thinks are the 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 big turning point shows and mm -hmm. Buffy and BSG are both in there um and sure. um and my impression from the bits I have read is that Buffy and some of the earlier ones were more exceptions in their day and like more outliers whereas like I think I feel like more or by the time BSG is coming around, it's starting to become more common that, oh, there are actually a lot of really good shows, you know, not sure. as much as today where you have like 500 scripted shows broadcast in a single year. Like we have just unreal numbers of things being produced today that wasn't true even 10 years ago, but um but the well, Buffy, yeah. and Buffy the, and was even more extraordinary for its time, you know. Right. And how do you, how do you, I mean, today, of course, there's a complication of things like Netflix and Amazon Prime right. and stuff right. that we're like, we still kind of call them TV shows, but like they don't ever air like on TV networks. Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, right, you might right. play it, He's, you might play right. it on your TV streaming through you know, an internet enabled device of some kind, but it's not TV, right. you know, like these were. So, right. Yeah. Right. And both yeah. of these shows predate that, whatever that is that we're in right now, these are both, you know, right. you know the shows that we've all talked about so far are all predating that advent of whatever this new era is. Um, so, um, yeah. Very, anyway. anyway, so like we, we went way off on a tangent there and I apologize. That's kind of my we fault. Went, but 
But that's okay. Um, but I, I just wanted to kind it, of point out it that was like, more, whatever, you know, that period, BSG was certainly uh, in that conversation. Um, yeah. And I was know. just trying to place it in my own mind of like what we're talking about. Because like Lost was on by this time, right? Yes, Because I feel like I was, I was watching that, I know, like live, like from the beginning. I remember like right. watching the first episode when it aired kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yep, me too. Um. I don't remember what else, like, from that period <laughs> I was watching. It was yeah. kind of sad. Like, probably, like, CSI or something. Because, like, right. I, I feel like I watched that, like, for quite a while. Right. Um, I think I had stopped watching ER by this point. I don't remember when ER went off the air. Maybe it was before this, even. But, anyway. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to contextualize it in my own personal viewing history, right. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I guess I would have been in college at this point. That's why I wouldn't have seen BSG at the time was in college, you're sort of limited to whatever you were watching with your roommates and stuff. So would have for me, it would have been The Office and Grey's Anatomy and some other things. But um, right. Oh, um, so here you lost, go. Of here, course, but here, here you go. So like 30 Rock started in 2006. Hmm. The year, the year that we're talking about, right? <laughs> As did uh, Matthew Perry's uh, Studio 60 on the right. Sunset Strip uh, that lasted, what, a season? Right, right. Right, we're in the post-Friends diaspora of... <laughs> oh, and, and Dexter started actors. that year, but I, I, was, I didn't watch Dexter. It, you know, I, I, it was later that I binged it, but not... Mm-hmm. I wasn't watching it at the time. Okay, so yeah, just curious. Just trying to contextualize. Yes, yes. Um, well, and Doctor Who is dominating the Hugos. So in science fiction, you know, even though Doctor Who by this point is not hugely... Uh, it, it, we're pre-BBC America Doctor Who, so it hasn't exploded in America yet. But in, in the, the in-the-no sci-fi community, Doctor Who is... is you know, on a hot streak, you know, um, in its first couple seasons and everything. So, uh, it's still in the Davies era and everything. Um, you know, but with Stephen Moffat getting some notice and everything. Um, so yeah. Uh, all right. Interesting little tangent we went on. Um, where, uh, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? We want to talk about some favorite episodes from the season, I guess. Um, and I think you got to pick first this time. I did. Um, had a little bit of trouble. I mean, it's hard because there's like a number of really good episodes this season. And then there, mm-hmm. as we've discussed and we'll discuss maybe briefly later, um, there was there was sort of a run of maybe less thrilling episodes mm-hmm. the one i ended up choosing i'll be honest i don't know 100 percent why i necessarily chose it i mean I, I do like the episode but like maybe we can talk through it a bit which is the idea of course um is is final cut which is um the eighth episode and that's of course the one uh where we see um what's her name deanna Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
not Deanna Troy. What's uh what's her last name? Oh, do we get it? I uh, forget. I'm anyway, sure we okay. do. Uh, so we get Lucy Lawless, uh, talking, uh, as, as a news reporter and sort of given, you know, access to Galactica and the crew and doing the interviews and, and we see it sort of, um, you know, both through, you know, sort of the standard you know, uh, uh, lens that we get, but also then through sort of her diegetic, my favorite word, camera of, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that she's, uh, you know, putting together this story of who, you know, the people on the Galactica are and sort of what they're fighting for. Um, And then also something that you sort of, you know, brought up is like the, the breaking down of, both the people and the technology, right? Like the failing of, you know, you know, the, the, the things that aren't working, but then also getting like, um, Gata, you know, sort of talking about like, why does he keep doing what he's doing? And, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of pressing for an answer there. And then you get like, um, you know, like with you know, like cat with the stems, right? Like getting mm-hmm. the the wear and tear on her personally and emotionally and um, physically. You know, the the need to feel like she always needs to just like keep pushing mm-hmm. further and and not wanting to let other people down, but sort of the ways that she goes about to not let people down, of course, ends up letting people down and you know crashes into well not crashes but like does well it does sort of like a crash landing and whatever you know so like it's just that that idea that things are not going as well as they should be and that people are getting tired and it's it's different like the adrenaline has run out right like you've 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 if the if like the whole journey of the galactica from you know, occupied Caprica to Earth, wherever that is, mm-hmm. um, is like if you could sort of like call that a marathon. This is like the point in the marathon where like the pasta dinner you ate the night before is running out, right? And so mm-hmm. now you're now you're like tapping into like <laughs> whatever reserves you have left, and and there just isn't more. Like, because I would contrast, you know, contrast this with like. 33 you know way back at the beginning of season one where you have like yes like people are tired and whatever but they're like they're all on alert you know adrenaline's pumping like you're just going to survive and now it's like your body's starting to break down your knees are giving out a little you're you know mm-hmm. just can't mentally keep up with you know what's going on and you know, that's sort of what's happening across the entire fleet in in one way or another. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, I feel, well, so we'll talk a little bit too about some of the broader themes, but um, a lot of that too, I think is, is due to 
how thinly the you know crew and and the fleet as a whole the you know the crew of the galactica but also the fleet just in general sort of spreads themselves throughout this season Mm -hmm. um and i don't want to sort of jump ahead to the big themes and stuff but but there is that sense of like they're they're just kind of doing out everything they can to hold themselves together you know in in light of you know all of the trauma and stress and running and living day to day that they've been through. Um, and yeah. I forget, like, like I didn't, I, you know, we never pick our favorite episodes until we're here talking. So it's not like, like I couldn't like go back and watch it. Cause we just picked this like a few minutes ago, but right. You know, I would like, there are questions now, even as I'm like thinking about it, like, I can't remember if like it shows, you know, how many days or whatever at the beginning of of the episode, um, you know, that they've been running or whatever, but you know, it is, it is just that idea of like, it's been, whatever it is, it's been too long. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're nearing the end of their reserves and, and they just can't even anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, so the other thing I like about it too, is that, um, you know, me, I tend to gravitate towards, um, some of the, uh differently structured type mm-hmm. stuff um you know so like my my go-to of course is like firefly you know with out of gas mm-hmm. um you know and just sort of the way that the story is told you know in, in different levels um i don't think this one's quite as good as that mm-hmm. but like i do like you know the interview style i like the focus on some of the secondary characters that mm-hmm. we get and sort of learning more about like um cat and racetrack is it and mm-hmm. even gata who we know a little bit better anyway but like get some more of his background and and um is it duala like where we learned like she was going to be a dentist or whatever or was that am i getting that right or, uh, who, or who was it i don't remember if that's in this um, one um no, anyway, but okay. but it is that kind of thing of like yeah, like interviewing all of these kind of more tertiary characters and everything that we don't normally get to yeah. have center at the center of the story and everything. Or is it someone says that that she was just doing it to pay for like school or something. Was it Callie? Maybe it's Callie. I just don't remember whether it's this episode. Oh, okay. It might not be this episode. Might maybe not. Okay. But I thought it was because I thought it was the the interview style, but I could be wrong. Um. Yeah, I'd have to look up the quote and figure out where it is. But um. Yeah, I, I, it's not that huge of a deal. But anyway, so no. But I think uh, that's consistent with the kind of stuff that's in this episode. It's like those kinds of little character details that don't um don't seem to matter except insofar as they add characterization to the people you know Mm -hmm. um you know and i i like that a lot that it's like people like like racetrack it's like well you know supporting character pilot does she need to have that much you know uh character but you know you if you write to that suddenly she becomes a lot more interesting um 
Sure. You know, and it doesn't mean that she's the star of the show now. It just means that she has layers in a way that she didn't, you know, before this. Um, And then when she is in a scene, even if she's kind of in the background of a scene, it, you know, she's a more interesting sort of player, you know, because you've kind of seen her in a different context and everything. Um, So, yeah. um, Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I kind of agree with you. Like, and I feel like I, um, I, I kind of, you know, pair this with, um, Flight of the Phoenix, which comes after it as, you know, both kind of about, you know, those like showing the, the start, the start of the fatigue of the crew and everything. Um, and, you know, even if Flight of the Phoenix tries to address that in the short term, it can't really address it in the long term. But the notion of, you know, that the people are starting to wear out and the chief comes up with this sort of passion project and everything. Um, but I like the way that Final Cut sets up that notion of the kind of how overwhelmed the the people are becoming. And it, it, you made a good point about it's it's like 33 but it's not that you know 33 when it starts is very much like a a purely physical fatigue you know that like it's in the immediate okay yes they're emotionally overwhelmed but they're probably also a little bit emotionally numb you know that like all right we did just witness the genocide of our you know our, our whole world and all the people that we know. And so it doesn't really deal with their emotions up front because it's just about making it to the next 33 minutes and how, you know, the physical tiredness of that situation. Um, or is this to me is more of like an emotional tiredness of, the mm. physical stuff is more more fatigue than Yeah, like the physical yeah. stuff's part of it. Like that's it's you know, that's why Kat takes the stims is so that she can stay awake, you know, in the cockpit time after time. And it's not like it's not there, but it's more mm. about an attitude and and like a hopelessness. And like that's what they all talk about in all their interviews is um how long is this gonna go on? You know, um you know, and I, is it in Gaita's that he talks about how, like, okay, I trained my whole life to prepare for this thing that I imagined I would do for a certain amount of time, and then I would go off and start the real life, and then real life ended, and now I'm doing this, you know, right forever, maybe, like, with no apparent end in sight. And so how do you cope with that? Well you get drunk and get a tattoo. Like, I don't, you know, how do you cope with that? Like, there's no way to really cope with that notion. Um, you know, and like it's final cut is starting to bring up that idea of like, you know, how long can we keep this thing going, you know, emotionally and mentally as well as physically. And D that line of D's when I think Deanna asks her, um, does this ever get easier? And she says, no, it gets harder, 
you know, like that it's not right. just that it's hard each time, <clears throat> but it actually gets harder that, you know, there are, there's a degenerative quality of, you know, not just can I sustain an energy, but the energy is going to start to drop. And like mm -hmm. you're, you know, you would think that you would think that 33 had to have been the hardest thing they ever did. But D makes it sound like, no, actually, it's gotten worse. Like, you know, that your ability to sort of keep, you know, keep yourself going at that pace and deal with the situation right. is actually going to start to flag after a while. Um and that the whole fleet is dependent on this because there are no replacements for them. Or the replacements don't come fast enough to actually do any good, you know, because sure. people get killed too quickly or the replacements get killed because they're too new and they get thrown into the deep end and they get killed by, you know, Scar or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Um no, I and I like it too. I, I also like the same as you. I like the kind of documentary playing with the, you know, the format and the third wall and everything or fourth wall. Um, one of the walls. One of the walls playing with walls. Um, which I guess kind of leads me to my pick for the season. Um, mm -hmm. which is, uh, downloaded, which is towards the end of the season. Um, so there's a couple things. Um, I'd never thought about it before, but I, I, you brought this up in our discussion and I think I must've listened to the episode recently when I was, you know, checking for edits or whatever. Um, cause it's fresh in my mind, but, um, you mentioned the way in which, the end where the Cylons are all um, watching the movie. And there's this suggestion that the kind of, what seems to be propaganda at the end of, we're watching a movie about how wonderful humanity is. You know, like there's a kind of like, nice pat on the back kind of sentiment at the end that potentially it could actually be genuine on the Cylons point of view that, you know, maybe after however long of making a movie about humanity, Deanna has some sort of respect for the humans that she might not have had. And it's sort of suggested, if not said, that there's some, you know, truth into what her, what she says at the end. That it's not just, you know, saying it, you know, for Adama and Rosalind's sake and everything. Um, and even though it doesn't quite continue that with Deanna, I feel like in a subtle kind of way that sets up what happens in Downloaded where you get sure. a change in perspective about the humans from the Cylon point of view. You know, not led by Deanna, but led by, you know, Boomer and Caprica Six. And this notion of, you know, that, that the Cylons may not be not only may not may they not be wholly in the right, but they may have actually done a terrible thing. Um, and, you know, they kind of come out of it ready to 
lead their people into this new, you know, enlightened period of, you know, honesty and love and understanding and everything. Um, you know, and it kind of, in a, in a kind of fanfic sort of way, it makes me think like, would Deanna's movie have played a part in that, you know? Like, could this be, you know, propaganda for Boomer and Caprica sixes? Like, you know, like I could see them using, <clears throat> here's this footage we have right. of what, what we, how wrong we were, you know, about sure. humanity and how we judged them and we misunderstood them. And yes, they've made mistakes, but so have we. And so let's all put aside our differences and kind of, you know, grow to understand each other. Um, you know, that kind of seems where it's headed and it feels like Deanna's movie could kind of be, you know, I don't know, resonant with that. Um, but anyway, it kind of, it suggests that Cylons might start to feel differently about humans. Then they're not just the faceless, you know, evil enemies, but they actually can change their minds. Um, sure. Which I think, well, and that, that, let me just finish really quick. Yeah, that sorry, that sorry. gets me to the, the, you know, the key thing that I really like about downloaded is that shift in perspective that, you know, two, yeah. okay. So we're two seasons in, basically this is the end of the second season. And for the first time we get from like, truly from a Cylon point of view, like basically a whole episode mm -hmm. devoted to Cylons with not just them as side characters or antagonists or anti-heroes or whatever, but like, this is actually about them. And I guess the first time I was watching it, when I got to this episode of finally, um, it, that like felt like such a refreshing thing that I don't know that I had really seen before. Like, you know, a show that's been on for that long takes such a radical shift in its perspective. Um, mm. And actually, um, I didn't write down totally what he said, but when I was at, um, this past October, I went to the um, uh, Chestnut Hill Harry Potter conference um, in Chestnut Hill, Pennsylvania. And one of the plenary speakers, I'm gonna butcher his name, but it's Jack Gerzinski, I think, um, from the University of Vermont was talking about, um, politics in Harry Potter and how it either reflects or influences the politics of its generation, I guess, millennials specifically, but he was talking about, you know, various different things and kind of saying, you know, you know, certain stories do one thing and some things do another, but, um, he mentioned BSG as, as an example of something that it's, politics or you know it's sort of viewpoints and its philosophy actually changes over the course of the four seasons that like hmm. not that it changes its mind but that what it's saying and the way that it um represents viewpoints actually evolves that it doesn't just tell a consistent thing from beginning to end but that it actually changes from season to season and maybe we could 
you can make an argument that there's a shift between season one and season two, but I think you can't really deny that this is a major shift, you know, especially with like downloaded and then the end of the season and the new Caprica stuff and everything that like, you know, it goes from, you know, he was kind of saying like, it, it starts from a fairly, um, you know, I don't know what adjective to call it, but from a place of we're very much with the humans who are victimized and, you know, chased and brutalized by this almost faceless horde of enemies. And now two seasons in, suddenly we're getting episodes with empathy for the bad guys, you know, and kind of wanting to see things from their point of view and start to explore, you know, what their position is. And obviously this is just the opening of that. It will continue into season three and everything. Um, but I think that's why I really like this episode is it, it, I, you know, maybe other things have done things like that, but it kind of struck me as really fresh and unique and everything. And I feel like not most shows don't really do that, like kind of change their premise halfway through. Um, so anyway, Sure. You were starting to say something and I steamrolled over you to finish my thought. So going back to the video, um, I think there's a third interpretation mm -hmm. of, you know, potential interpretation of yeah. that Deanna, the way she created it was just to appease mm -hmm. Rosalind and Adama but that you could still have, you know, Boomer and Caprica Six using that video nonetheless mm -hmm. as sort of a recruitment tool like you were describing. Like, I feel like, mm -hmm. get, you know, given what we see, of, assuming that that model that we see in Downloaded is the same as Deanna, who mm -hmm. escapes with the video from the Battlestar. Mm -hmm. um, I would find it hard to believe that she created it with an eye of empathy towards the humans. Right. <laughs> um, so I could see it being like, here's what I created, you know, ignore sort of the way the story that it tells and mm -hmm. whatever, like, and look at it as a piece of propaganda. And I pulled one over on them. Right. And then have like Boomer saying, okay, yes, I will use it as propaganda, but not in a way like that you intended it. Right. <laughs> you know, right. And that kind of thing too. So, right. Um, just as a, also, I mean, the, the other side of what you were talking about as far as it does shift and like, like, I feel like we are on the side of Boomer and Caprica sticks, but like, mm -hmm. it also doesn't in the same vein like it doesn't just suddenly be like, oh, like we like everything they do because like right, right. clearly we don't like the fact that at the end of the season, we're left with like this, you know, well, one Baltar just sort of being Baltar, but uh, like also, you know, it's an occupation. It's not like, 
Yeah. Like, this right. is not like, oh, let's Cylons and humans work together and, and right. we can talk about the webisode stuff later. But, like, like this isn't all like, oh, okay, let's shake hands and, and figure out how we can learn to live together. This is, it's still an occupation. Mm -hmm. It's just like, hey, we realize that maybe killing you outright probably isn't the right thing to do. Oh, but enslaving you and ruling over you is perfectly fine. Right. So, so even if we're willing to sort of say like, okay, you know, I mean, I, we know Boomer more, more mm -hmm. than the other Cylons, just because we saw her before she knew she was a Cylon and, and so maybe have an attachment there, but like, there's still some flaws in their thinking. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, and I don't mean to say that there and are. I'm not, yeah. Right. And I'm not necessarily implying that you were saying that there weren't. I just, I'm just want to make sure to point out like, mm -hmm. like that, even though we, like, I think you're right that we do sort of get some more sympathetic story from their point of view that it's not, it doesn't mean. And just like the humans, like, we generally like Adama. That doesn't mean we like everything that he did or right. same with Rosalyn. We generally like her, but that doesn't mean we agree with everything she did or don't, you know, or, or don't dislike some of the things that she did. And, and so it's just, yeah, an, a, a further exploration, but not necessarily a simplification mm -hmm. of how we view the Cylons. Mm -hmm. Right. And, I, and maybe I guess explicit. It, yeah. Maybe explicitly less of a simplification in how we view them. Right. Well, um, that and I think that's it. Like they become more like characters that we can now, okay, as we go into the next season, try to figure out, all right, why are they doing what they're doing? What happened? What was the shift between the peace and love into occupation and what went wrong and why, what's their motivation here? And I feel like that's different. Whereas like in the beginning, you're not wondering about their motivation. Like, you know, their motivation. It's that they were enslaved and they they're pissed off and they want to kill everybody. And there's no question about why they're doing what they're doing. And it's, it's more simple that way. Whereas now sure. you're dealing more with individuals and, you know, what experiences they've had and what they want and what they're, they may not all agree with each other. You know, they might have different goals and there might be some politicking amongst the Cylons as well as amongst the humans and everything. And I feel like it just moves them, you know, not to being, you know, more righteous necessarily, but just into, com you know, complicating them a little bit. Um, sure. And making well, and it more even... about more about like like we look at conflicts between you know maybe groups of people in our own world and not so much the the good victimized humans and the evil robots like they're more equalized that way um and I'm, obviously that's something i want to i really um bless you Sorry. i really uh like you know the the stuff on new caprica i think it's some of the best stuff in the show. So I'm looking forward to talking about the complications of the situation and everything. Sure. You mentioned politicking and I was going to say even, even 
the religious, you know, how, however you interpret, you know, robots having a religion. Right. Uh, you know, aspects of it too. Cause you have, you know, obviously like the whole one true God stuff that, you know, mm-hmm. you have six or at least had six mm-hmm. talking about, but then you get, you get different versions from like Leoben mm-hmm. and right. Like his like more sort of athe- the more sort of atheistic view of, you know, right. I, whatever his name is. I, I forget, you know, the Cavill. You know, Thank you, Cavill. Oh yes, Cavill. So um, that may inform as well some of the different, or or the even like the Sharon models don't seem to have any particular. I mean, like Sharon, who's pregnant, mm-hmm. the you know who had Hera, mm-hmm. she seems to be. She, like, sort of gives lip service, but, like, Mm -hmm. you don't get the sense that she's, like, more than, like, sort of the ritualistic aspect of, you know, you know, referring to the right things at the right time. And the same with Boomer. Like, you get the sense that maybe, you know, she she knows the words to say, but, I you know, Mm -hmm. true believer? Eh, Right. You know, whatever. Right. Right. Um, Well, and for both of them, they're strong identification with the humans over their own fellow Cylons, you know, um, you know, like, which is the other Cylons like Cabrica six might have found a certain sympathy. She might have compassion for the humans that she's wronged, but, um, I don't know that like Boomer, she feels like one of them, you know, like Boomer, you know, sure. has internalized her own humanity in a way that's different. So, yeah, I just like that. I mean, we've got that all along that they've been slowly distinguishing them as characters. But I feel like it's really at this point where they're allowed to be like a fully fledged point of view apart from the human characters, you know, where... um you're not just picking up little bits and pieces, but you're actually getting the story from their perspective. Right. Um, so we've kind of moved into sort of the bigger themes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so maybe we can talk through, you know, a few of the other ones that we wanted to, um, and then get to the ups, the webisodes sure. real quick before we move into Buffy. But um one of the things that sort of struck me just even as we were talking about what we were going to talk about uh, today was that sort of thinking through the differences between season one and season two, kind of a at a very broad stroke um, level. Season one, I feel like, is a lot of being, you know, forced together mm. And having to learn how to live with each other, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, the MTV Real World, right? Where you're bringing in all these people into like a single house, and they have to kind of figure out how to get along. Real World BSG. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, I feel like that's a lot of what season one is now. There's exceptions, of right, course. Sure. Like, yeah. like you have like Hilo still on Caprica, like 
the whole season right. <laughs> or most of it right. anyway. Um, and then, you know, there's like at the end where they find Cobal and you get the crash landing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, but like, I feel like by and large, for the most part, it's that, you know, yeah, we're, we, we've been sort of put in this really bad situation and we need to just figure out for survival's sake, how to all just get along. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, failures and then successes and, and whatever. Um, until the very end of season one, where it's like, suddenly we've got Starbuck running off and doing her thing. And, you know, the fleet kind of in crisis mm-hmm. and, you know, this, this group of people on Cobol, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, which brings us right into the beginning of season two with scattered. Um, and then for like the first three episodes, they're scattered there. You know, you have these different things going on. And then episode four is even, there's still, you know, like Kara's still on Caprica, right? Like, mm-hmm. isn't, is that the one where she comes back or the one after that or whatever? Something like that. I, yeah. Like for basically like the first quarter of, season two mm-hmm. you've got you know this whole uh you know sort of everyone going off in all these different places and and i think we even talked about it at the time like how like the story like the story of you know the crew on cobalt with crash down and everyone it's like like if they just told that whole story it would like maybe not even fill up a full episode right <laughs> but like it feels so long mm-hmm. and drawn out because it's told over like 3 or 4 episodes or whatever it is mm-hmm. and so um you change the dynamic from we've sort of all been thrust together from these different ships and walks of life and forced to like cooperate to now that we fi- finally figured out how to cooperate, we're going to get ripped apart and, yeah. you know, see what happens. And so the first half of the season sort of is an attempt to recover from that. But then you you throw in right at the midpoint of the season, you throw in, um, oh, gosh, what's her name? You know, Pegasus and yeah. and Admiral uh, uh, Kane. Shoot. Kane. Thank you. Uh you know, and then there's like a few episodes where, you know, she's doing all this stuff and then it all comes to a head. Mm-hmm. And like, even though they're together and like back, you know, except for the people who died and except for the people that Starbucks left behind on Caprica, you know, like they're all kind of together again, but very much divided, mm-hmm. you know. In a like, even more so than any of the divisions that happened, I think in sort of the first season where mm-hmm. they they weren't together yet, but were sort of trying to figure out how to be together. Right. Um, and so I well, I, and not to mention all the political stuff that happens in the first few episodes where Ty is in charge, right? Right. Of season two. Right. Um. But like you have that, you have that very divisiveness of Kane versus Adama, and sort of the different factions and the splitting up of the crews, and mm-hmm. you know, Kane sort of installing her people on Galactica, and you know, Adama sort of losing people to the Pegasus, like you know, 
whatever. And then Starbuck being thrown in the brig, which, you know, happens all the time anyway. But, right. um, you know, those kind of things. So, like, even though you're together, there's still this division and separation, you know, going mm-hmm. on. And then there's some episodes, you know, that are, we can talk about sort of the dry spell there for a bit. But then, like, yeah. by the end of it, you know, you, you're into the political stuff where there's the division and mm-hmm. all of that. And, you know, the dissension between, well, you have like an episode with Starbuck taking a bunch of people and leaving. And then, you know, they're going coming to bring people back, but they're still like gone for like an episode and, yeah, you know, like under fire. And so you have more like splitting up and, and dissension in, um, you know, the political parties between Baltar and Roslyn and, and, you know, which splits like the fleet mm-hmm. politically and then physically as well, mm-hmm. because half of them or more choose to go down to Caprica, to New Caprica, sorry. And by the end of the season, you have like the Adamas and the fleet like jumping away and abandoning, right. you know, people. Right. So like, it's really like when when looked at at the as a whole season is really a season about separation mm. again versus the first season, which was the season of, of yeah uh you know bringing together and and you know right uh uh cohesion right. rather than that so um I know I spent a long time sort of describing through all those pieces, but I feel like each of those sort of steps like. Like one thing in and of itself is just sort of like an episode or two, you know, plot. But mm-hmm. like the fact that like it's repeated, you know, in a number of different ways, mm-hmm. like the division and the separation with each other is kind of makes it significant as as a season two theme right? Um, to look at. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple things I want to jump off of there that like um, in the the coming together of the first half of like, there really is like a mirror reversal of physical scatteredness in the first half and then more emotional or relational scatteredness in the second, you know, like there's a flip there. Um, But it's interesting that the first half before Pegasus shows up kind of culminates with home, you know, that two parter where, you know, it's, it's Adama. What are you going to do? I'm going to put the family back together. Like it's, he's going to, he's going to redress their, their being scattered, which does again, like, and that's kind of when they find it's a re reunification of him and Roslyn after their split. And it's when Mm. they find the, the map to earth. So it results in a, a game, you know, of like, all right, we have, we have a direction now we have, we're not just wandering aimlessly, but we have something to go for. But then, yeah, like in the second half with Pegasus to come and break up the party, it changes from being physically separated to being in the same space, but separated in our beliefs and in our goals and what we think we should do and everything. Um, You know, which maybe is not to jump ahead too much, but maybe is partly why the second half can sometimes feel like a little bit of a chore. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but by the end, 
the emotional separation comes back full circle where it culminates in, you know, this ideological divide of, you know, are we going to settle or not? Separates the fleet physically once again, and then, you know, disastrously once the, you know, the Cylons show up because, and I never really thought about this, but it's the separatedness that makes them vulnerable, right? Like if the Cylons showed up and they were all together, you feel like it would have gone differently. Like, you know, if they'd been all together on the ground, maybe they would have mounted some sort of fight, you know, or mm -hmm. if they'd been all together in the ships, they could have jumped all together. Right. But the fact that they're separated is what dooms them because the people on the ground can't run and the people in the air can't fight because they don't have the manpower. And right. so that's that's what puts them in this, well, this we're in a no-win situation where half the people have to run away and abandon their friends. And the other half, Baltar really has no choice except to surrender, you know? You don't have a choice because they'll wipe them out if he doesn't. And so sure. this is what leads to the occupation and everything. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it is a really good... Scattered is sort of the, both the beginning and the end of the season. Um, the, other, the other title I thought, too, was significant, which you kind of talked about already, is the lay down your burdens at the end, which, you know, is a good title for the end of the season, but kind of, again, culminating for the whole season of, um, like you're talking about with final cut of leading up to, that's the desire of the season is to lay down their burdens of just to get off of the endless cycle of, you know, their same old day-to-day -day fight, which is getting more and more tiring. Um, and again, when you look at individual episodes over the whole season, you realize, okay, they're setting that up way back in the beginning. Um, and it's a slow kind of burn until you get to the end, which, again, that's the other thing that dooms them is the, the desire to lay down the burdens and rest. And, right. you know, that's, that's behind, that's Bart, Baltar's whole platform at the end, you know, which gets him elected. So, right. um, you know, well, they're it, laying the seeds for that early on in the season, which I think is nice. And so you get like Roslyn and Adama who want to continue pressing towards Earth because that was the plan, right? Like the plan was to find Earth, but it becomes, for most people, it becomes like a bird in hand kind of thing, mm. right? Like, yeah, okay, maybe it's not the perfect planet like okay there's a small temperate zone and it'll be rough but like we're here and we can right you know you know live off of this land again maybe not perfectly but it's doable mm -hmm. and so so you get that sense of like you know like you know moses could lead the israelites through the desert because it was desert mm -hmm. but like if it had been like lush pasture land would they have followed him <laughs> you right. know or would they just be like no nah, this is good enough yeah 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 we're, this we're, looks we're good fine. to me yeah we're fine right here yeah 
you know, and, and that, yeah, that idea that like, there is like, there is a certain level of discomfort or, um, dissatisfaction that needs to happen for you to, you know, press on and like kind of make your life better. But like, if the, you know, if things are good enough, mm -hmm. then like you don't have sort of that impetus or that motivation to continue, you know, looking for something that may or may not improve your situation. Any, right. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where it ends up being. And, and not to say that like Rosalind and Adama don't have their supporters. Like, there are people who would be willing to follow them because they sort of inherently believe in their leadership. Mm -hmm. But when you look at like, like the fact that like even Rosalind ends up on New Caprica. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, how much of that is just sort of strategic from a writer's standpoint to say like, okay, well now Rosalind and Adama are split up. And of course sure. we want them to be together. And, and so that's part of it. But, but there's also that sense of like, in a way she kind of gives up. Right. She's mm -hmm. not the president anymore. She's not the leader. She's going back to being a, just a teacher. So, right. to speak. you know, that scare quotes, just a teacher. Right? right. But like, you know, that idea of, you know, she she doesn't necessarily agree with it, but she acquiesces mm -hmm. and and doesn't like hold out hope and stay like on the Galactica in an effort to like. Right hope that someday enough people right. change their minds and they can go look for earth again. She's just kind of like, okay, well then right. I'll go be a teacher again. And, right. Well, that's something you know. we don't have to get into now. Maybe it's something I'd like to think about in the next couple episodes, but like, is there a consistent ideology between the people who stay on the ships and the people who went down to the surface or is it not consistent? Maybe it depends on the person, you know, like, some people yeah. might see it as a defeat. Others might go as, you know, for something more hopeful, you know, and maybe, maybe there sure. isn't a consistency, but like, that would be interesting. I think to think about is like, especially as we find out more about what they're doing, where they are and why they went there, like, you know, yeah. what were their reasons? Oh, and, and, you know, um, cause like, is Adama staying on the ship? Is that an act of hope? Or is that a kind of, um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. What else am I going to do? And, you know, I'll attend my lighthouse right. in isolation and it's kind of, you know, um, right. There, there's a sort of like fatalistic, you right. know, tragic aspect right. to it. Of just I'm like going to go down with old, the ship. An, old, an yeah. old, an old soldier never right. stops being a soldier. Right. right? Like, right. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, the the easy and quick answer to your question is of of course it's not uniform because right. BSG isn't written that way. Right, <laughs> like right. I mean, you know, everyone does gotta you know is gonna have their own motivation. So I I think that's the very superficial answer to your question. But I you know, I do think there is. I I kind of do even, think. <laughs> no, finish. Sorry. I, well, I don't know how far we want to go down this road because yeah, we're already at an hour. So, yeah. so I'll I'll hold off my comments until you know next time or or a few episodes from now. But, right. um, I I I do think I have a particular thought about Rosalind herself that mm -hmm. 
<laughs> maybe we can get back to okay um at a future at a future date um do you how do you want to get into the bad episodes other than to just say that there were some that were bad? Yeah, I mean, maybe we don't have to flog a dead horse or anything. Um, I've mentioned this before, so you know it, that leading up, like from around the time that the Pegasus arc kind of winds up to uh, when uh, downloaded comes and some air is let back into the story. Um, for me, uh, you know. I guess it's like around Epiphanies, Black Market, Scar, Sacrifice, The Captain's Hand. Um, that's a little bit of a rough patch for me. And and the first couple times I watched it, that's where I would get mired down. And it felt, I mean, I can only say that my memory of it is that it started to feel like just, this sounds like an insult, kind of just like a TV show of like, all right, new episode it's the situation of the week um it didn't it wasn't until i think when i finally somehow pushed through to download it it suddenly my worldview changed and it became oh the story is bigger than i thought it was um Mm. you know now i mean you could probably there's some not terrible episodes in there and, and i think you could even make a defense that there could be some you know, way in which downloaded and lay down your burdens retroactively redeem those episodes. Because I think if you're talking about the fatigue of the season, that's very apparent in those episodes. You know, the characters are very kind of run down and depressed and stuck in the mire. And it could be that this is what you need to lead you into the into a place where we'll settle on New Caprica, you know? Um, so, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be my favorite episodes. So, um, um, and like, even though we didn't watch them that long ago, you know, I mean, it's all, we're only talking like four or five episodes ago, right? We're not like, like, I feel like I remember episodes from like the first half of the season better than some mm-hmm. of those episodes yeah. and i actually had to go back and look like oh yeah what was sacrifice oh right it's the one where they're like hostage and you right. know right. in the bar on you know cloud nine and stuff but like i you know yeah yeah like it's it's fine as sort of a actiony sort of thing it, and you do get like the you know like a a minor character coming in well i mean minor she's only in that episode right yeah you know character coming in with sort of like oh here's some of the sort of results of the military aspects of what's going through and Mm -hmm. obviously we found stuff to talk about for each one of those i feel like scar is like the best of the worst of those episodes so to speak you know because that you know I don't, I, well, I don't even know that I want to go into why, but like, yeah, it, it's just sort of like, they are sort of situation of the week. And I feel like by that point, cause like, like, I feel like we talked about like at the beginning of like sort of the end of the mini series and beginning of season one, mm-hmm. you get that like 
okay, like, check, we took care of where we got all our ammunition. Mm -hmm. And check, we took care of, like, the water thing. And, like, you know, we took care of, like, why can't the Cylons follow us anymore? And so, like, you kind of had to have those situations of the week to, like, get them out of the way. Yeah. And then from, like, since then, up until this you know, two thirds of the way through the second season, you you have like all of these sort of bigger things going on. And in, in addition to sort of the plot of the week yeah. stuff. Yeah. But you but it you know, the plot of the week is sort of in context of like the bigger right, you know, right movement. And then you go right to these like oh, I'm Leodama and I'm gonna face the black market kingpin and you know i think that's i think that's it which i don't know that the show ever totally figures this out but i don't think bsg's that good at standalone episodes i think when it's best is when it's all the ensemble working together like because this is very much like if i'm looking at the plot descriptions not that i don't want to know about the rest of the fleet but it's never as interesting when you go into the rest of the fleet because like Epiphanies is, it's the terrorists, you know, looking for, like, peace with the Cylons. Black Market, you're going into the Black Market. Scar, okay, that's the anomaly, you know. Sacrifice, again, you have terrorists taking hostages because they don't want peace with the Cylons. Um, It just is very much like you're away from where you want to be. You know, we're not with our characters, you know, and it also tends to be very like for me, Lee and Starbuck heavy. And I like those characters in general, but I don't want to see the same characters as the center point every episode. Like I like when it mixes it up and switches them around a bit and it just got a bit repetitive, I think. And I wonder how much that would have been different had they put some of those episodes earlier just spread them out a bit yeah like so black market almost has none of starbuck in it right so like could like could that have been during the stretch of episodes where she was still on caprica right like maybe maybe you have that like before the farm right and so like you have that be like here's what lee's doing on the fleet and then, like, that next episode is, here's what Starbucks doing on Caprica. And then you get home, right? right. Which is, right. you know, the two-part, you know, sort of coming together again and everything, like, working out for the moment anyway. Yeah. You know, and, like, we've got a new purpose again. And so so splitting out some of those and, and sprinkling them a little bit more, like... Not that it would improve the episodes per se, because like we still might say like, oh yeah, like black market's kind of forgettable. Mm-hmm. But at least in sort of the grand scheme of things, right. it becomes like, okay, we're we're finding out what Lee's doing, and then we're finding out right. what you know Starbucks doing, and then we're finding out like everyone coming together and doing this other stuff, and then oh here's Admiral Kane, and then right. maybe while Admiral Kane's still alive, you have you know, sacrifice of, you know, the terrorists. And and maybe that even becomes more interesting because it's not how Adama handles them, it's how Admiral Kane handles the terrorists. Look at this, you're you're fixing the season. (laughs) So, 
Yeah. I know. They should have called me in as yeah. like a, a script doctor or whatever. Yeah, right. But, um, um, yeah, no, I know, think that's, that. that's... So, so, yeah. so maybe, yeah, so my point just being like, like, it's not just that the episodes themselves, like, maybe the episodes wouldn't have been improved that much, even by moving around, but you wouldn't have felt it as like, yeah, this sort of huge divot in, yeah. in the season. Right, um, right. Well, you know, so and, and I feel like, again, with the repetitiveness, I, I, I miss the Cylons. By the time Downloaded shows up, it's like... <laughs> oh, thank heavens. Like, cause they, they're not there again, apart from scar is the one exception right, sure. to the rule. Um, which again, it makes sense because you have the destruction of the resurrection ship. So they are less, you know, they're a little bit shyer of, of attacking. And right. then in retrospect, you realize there's all this stuff going on with Caprica six, where they're starting to pull back, where she's starting to convince them not to be mm. as aggressive. and you know, they decide to leave Caprica and to not pursue the humans. And so again, in retrospect, you can kind of realize why that is, but that doesn't necessarily make that stretch of five episodes, you know, work much better. Um, you know, and I think that's, again, another reason I like that last couple episodes is it brings the Cylons back into the main part of the story. And um, yeah you know, in a new way, but it reintegrates them into the center of the story. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, but Hey, that that's for me, the weakest part of the show. So we're over the hump. Um, and once I did see, uh, downloaded, I was pretty solid from there on, you know, I think that kind of, downloaded and then the kind of one year jump cemented for me that that it was something I was really into so I think it's a sure. little weak spot but this the season definitely finishes really strong I think um all right well we don't have to go into this too much because it is very much a precursor to season three but uh we get these uh you know, webisodes, um, which right. strung together are not quite the length of a full episode, but almost like, I think it's they're like, like a, half an hour or something like that. It's like, a, well, like 20 some minutes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, like maybe half an episode or something, but yeah. yeah. Um, um, so yeah. Uh, go ahead. And where do you want to start with the resistance? Yeah. And like, I agree. We don't need to talk too long about it, but I, you know, one, it's, so it's another, I'm sure, I'm sure to cut, keep costs down, mm. <laughs> you know, is part of the reason why we get maybe a little more focus on some of the secondary characters, um, and, and who's, tertiary. Who's cheap. <laughs> but, yeah, like, you know. But I like it. Like, like I like when. Like, Ty, Ty will sell out for anything, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, but. Yeah. No, I No, mean, but I think it's refreshing when it's like. Hey, oh, yeah. we get to spend an episode with Jammer, you know, like whoever yeah. thought and, ja Jammer would be the center of a story, you know. And I and I think it, I think it works pretty well the way that it's done. They, they I think they actually came up with a good story for this arc of webisodes or or half episode, however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, insofar as it's not, you know, it's not immediately after the Cylons come, right? Like there's a couple, it's like a couple months, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, into their occupation. And it's also not like, like there's not a full-fledged resistance, mm-hmm. you know, revolution going on. It's, you know, the story of them trying to build one and kind of fizzling out, like, mm-hmm. like kind of failing at it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, through exposition, we hear, you know, like that, who was it that got caught with the guns, right? And so now they've gotten like most of their cache of weapons taken away and they're trying to figure out what to do next. You know, they're trying to recruit you know, Viper pilots who should be, like, gunning for the Cylons mm-hmm. and, like, easy to recruit. But at the same time, you have Duck and, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Nora? Nora, yeah. Who, who, who are, like, kind of okay with not fighting anymore, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, this is what we were talking about earlier, like, like they're they're kind of glad of of having relative peace, and not that like not that they're necessarily happy with the way things are going. Like you get Duck's sort of rant about you know the first thing that the Cylons do is build a prison, and you know who would who would spy on their own people, and right. you know as Jammer sort of testing him out and like seeing if he'd be willing to do it, but ultimately he's not. You know, he tries to recruit him, but He's ultimately not willing to do it because they want to have a baby and you don't have a baby. Well, I mean, Tyrell and Callie did, but I guess she was already pregnant when the Cylons. Right. No, that's a good whatever. point. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, like, but you don't necessarily plan to have a baby if you think it's going to be like a dangerous mm-hmm. thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So. But Duck and Nora do want to have a baby. And so they there must be at least part of them together that thinks like this is the new normal and everything will be okay. Right. Um so Right. Or at least of, they can stay out of you know right. the the well, immediate danger of it. And everyone has a certain level of self delusion of like, yes, it's bad, but I'll be okay. Right. right? Like no matter what situation you're in, there's always going to be those people who are like, okay, no matter how bad it gets, like I'll still survive or I'll still, you know, be mm-hmm. okay with stuff. You know, nothing real bad can happen to me. Yeah. And so there might be some of that going on too. And, and not just might be, but there is, because of course Nora ends up getting killed. Right. And, um, I like how the effects of that, play out because you get duck you know being very judgy against you know them for having weapons in the temple and Mm -hmm. whatever but like his conclusion ends up being like no it was the cylons and now if i you know he joins up the police but not not because he wants to put down the resistance that he knows tyrell and ty are trying to build but because he wants to figure out who ratted them out right so so 
he doesn't actually end up reversing his opinion. Right. Which you kind of expect, you know, with Nora being killed. But it, it actually almost solidifies his opinions that he was talking about in the beginning of, you know, the Cylons being uh, this occupying force and, you know, putting people in jail. And now he's he wants to sort of become an insider double agent mm-hmm. in a way. At least, you know, according to what he tells Tyrrell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get Jammer, who we know is kind of a weasel anyway. Yeah, like, yeah. He always has been, you know. Right. With, you know, having this conversation in the detention hall and seeing, and apparently he's like pretty religious now, or maybe he always has been and we just didn't know him well enough mm-hmm. before. But you get like, like the Doral uh Cylon. I forget what number he is. Is it is it five or whatever? Something. Um, yeah, maybe. Who uh who's sort of playing on these religious fears of like, oh well, it was really their fault for bringing weapons onto sacred ground, right? Like this mm-hmm. is this is supposed to be the travesty of travesty, which mm-hmm. we know the Cylons don't even believe in the same gods, if any god. Like right. we don't really know Doral's opinion about God or right, not. But, right. But like the Cylons don't even have like the same gods as the humans do anyway. So Mm -hmm. like, but the fact that he's willing to sort of use that and, and get at least get jammer thinking, Mm -hmm. um, I find interesting too. And jammer sort of successfully lies to Tyrrell, which we wouldn't expect. And there's that moment of Tyrrell, like maybe looking suspiciously at him and we don't know Mm -hmm. exactly what Tyrrell's thoughts are there in that moment, but could be that he doesn't believe them. But, you know, like the action is that he sort of chooses to accept it or, or mm-hmm. at least for the time being is willing to let it play out. And so, so I don't know. I just like the way that those, like they don't take the obvious sort of twist yeah, with it. And, um, right. And, and that, they're, each of them is their position is complicated for because for as much as you're right that Jammer does at least flirt with the idea you know of, of selling out and kind of lies to Tyrrell at the end and seems to sell out and he always like you said he kind of always has been like he's been I don't think Jammer's a is he a bad guy but like he's always been a little bit weak morally like whenever they've had disputes among the the deckhands he's always yeah. the one kind of saying hey we can't really trust each other you got to just take care of yourself and you know he's never been the biggest team player but on the other hand he is perfectly i think in in his rights to be uh, disturbed by what Ty is willing to do for the resistance, you know, because sure. you get Ty as resistance leader who kind of uh, cheers when they're yeah Ty leader of the resistance. It's ironic, isn't it? Um, and he cheers when there's this massacre in the temple because of the outrage and how much easier this is going to make their recruitment, you know, and so you know, Jammer's uncomfortableness with that is perfectly understandable, you know? Um, yeah. And well, so and, the, I, and I, even I, putting more people in danger with the right. hospital, you know, right. and stuff like that. Right. Right. So all of them are in, on, on shaky moral ground, I think, um, you know, 
from what we see in in these episodes yeah um yeah so yeah i mean and and so obviously they're just a bridge between the seasons and and mm-hmm. we'll get more you know when we get into the episode you know next episode or two but uh yeah definitely definitely worth looking at and, and watching and um kind of seeing how that plays out cool okay well we went a bit over um that's all right end of season two we, for bsg we may not need to spend a ton of time on the buffy episode if we oh we good make up a little i'm time. glad i'm glad you agree <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not. I don't mean to imply that like there's nothing worth talking about here, no. but like, but I feel like of the Buffy episodes, like in this season or really any season, <laughs> there's like, like it's pretty straightforward. It is like, pretty there's straightforward. Not, yeah, there's not a lot of like subtlety and, mm-hmm. um, you know, nuance to this particular episode. I no, I mean, I it, there's not even a lot of magic like there's not um even really a metaphor of the weak or like a big symbolic layer it's kind of like the characters sort of meet they catch up and then they they go and that's kind of it um it, it was a little dull i have to be honest as an episode i mean Maybe there's which, interesting things which to is, point out, but um, which I, is a criticism of Riley in general. Sure, sure, <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and I, I felt like this maybe even more so than when he was like a main character. Um, maybe it's it's compounded by the fact that he's not a main character anymore. So you know. Um, yeah, they're just they're just so nice. They're so nice. And it's like, you know, it's you know, I think we'll have a couple things to say, but I don't think anything that earth-shattering really took place. Um but anyway. Um not that every episode has to have anything like that, but um all right, I want to start with Buffy and her situation. Um Because actually, I do, there's no real, like, with the kind of magic or demon plots, I don't think there's a lot of, like, metaphor of the week. But I do think that it's making a comment on kind of, uh, you know, life, I guess. Um, Like, we've talked somewhat about how, you know, Buffy kind of did a year or two of, of college, you know, what it was really like to be, you know, kind of metaphors of what it was like to be a college student. And even though Willow is still in college, it feels like we've kind of, again, moved past that a little bit. And now we're into sort of the post-studies, young adulthood, on your own for the first time kind of stuff. And and quite explicitly in this episode, as Buffy gets her letter of non-acceptance. Of non-acceptance. Well, and so I feel like what it's really talking about is you know that period of being out of school and not really knowing what comes next you know because if you think about it really you do spend the first 22 years of your life pretty much just in school and working towards the next thing um 
you know, not everybody, but you know, that's at least the, the narrative of what it's supposed to be, you know, of like, okay, you're in, you know, elementary school. And then that's about going on to high school, which is about getting the grades to get into college and then whatever. And then you kind of get out the other side of it. And unless you're very lucky, you come out the other side of it going, all right, what now? Um, and, and for some people it's just, okay, more school. Like, yeah. then you get your mat, you know, your MA or right. whatever, your right, grad right. degree. Well, and, and Buffy, uh, attempts that you know that's sort of one potential answer to her question here is to go back to school and as you said she you know fills out a letter and or, or an application and you know uh is not successful in that um and I feel like in particular this episode kind of feels like a comment on that thing of being kind of in your you know, twenties and comparing yourself to everybody else, you know? Um, and I think most people, some of us have a harder time than others in our personal lives, but I think everybody can mostly relate to that feeling of feeling like you don't have it figured out and other people do. Um, you know, so Buffy with her, uh, burger flipping job and that makes her smell you know, and the constant, like, the little running joke of, you smell you the, the smell, smell. <laughs> you know, like, that it, it follows her around, like, this stink of shame, right. you know, that she can't, she can't like even Like the vampire. Even, yeah, even the vampire won't fight her. It infects everything that, and people can, people can smell it on her. Like, it's this taint, you know, that she can't ever really wash off the stink of this terrible job. Um but yeah. she needs it and it's what she's doing. Um, you know, and, but she needs it in a way that other people don't, you know, she has her coworker who is like, you know, a budding political scientist who's going on about, you know, the Machiavellian politics of the double meat palace. But you also get that he goes off to night school, that this isn't the plan for him. You know, the plan is, all right, make enough money to get myself through school and then I'm going to do the real thing. Um, and for Buffy, there is no such plan like that. You know, it's, this is, this is the plan for the time being for as far as she can see into the future. Um, and you get, um, you know, her friends, uh, you know, particularly like with Xander and Anya planning the wedding and everything, you know, like you have kind of people around her who seem to be in more um, settled places. And then in particular, obviously, when Riley and Sam show up and they seem to have this sort of ideal, perfect, you know, relationship and everything. Um, so, I mean, I guess it is. I didn't want to say there's no metaphor. Like, I don't know that, that that's a metaphor. That's just kind of the text of what she's, you know, sure. dealing with. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we've talked before about episodes sort of being, you know, stories that sort of move people in the place. And I feel mm -hmm. like this is one of those, like, like I do think, there the you know it's sort of liminal in a way that 
it brings Buffy to the point where, like, I feel like we believe her this time when she says, you know, when she finally is able to quit Spike. Mm. Um, you know, when you get that sense of the end. Because, yeah. because of the admissions, right? Like, until now. Right. The it's honesty. Only been, yeah. It's only been Tara who knew mm-hmm. anything, right? And Tara is, like, not even in this episode and hasn't really been around much at all. Mm-mm. Anyway, I mean, you know, briefly, but, like, since that moment of, like, Buffy breaking down at the end of that, of whichever episode it was, where she's like, why do I let him do those things to me? Like, she hasn't told anyone. And now it's like, like, here she is admitting to Riley, like, who's probably kind of, I mean, she doesn't want to admit it to anyone, but Riley is probably the last person she wants to admit it to, right? Like, um, yeah given everything that they have been through and and whatnot. So yeah, if anything, I would say like that's like it is a turning point. Um mm-hmm. but like I you know, you don't need a sledgehammer to like beat it over anyone's head with it. <laughs> so like I don't I don't know, you know, how much detail we need to go into it. Mm-hmm. Um I do I do like you know I mean, Riley and Sam, yeah, they're both, like, Riley sort of, we already know him, right? But, like, Sam, you know, you get, like, Willow, <laughs> like, Willow wanting to be the one to, like, hate her on Buffy's behalf. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, Sam isn't hateable. And even Buffy's, like, later, later she's like, yeah, I kind of love her, too, you know? Like, yeah. she's, you know, there's sort of that initial, like, tension, like, what are you doing with my husband? But, you know, she's deferential to Buffy like treats Buffy as like oh you don't need any help you're the slayer like I'll just be slowing you down when like Sam's clearly like a very strong and capable Mm -hmm. you know person of her on her own you know um she sort of um you know treats Dawn as like you know an older person so wins Dawn over in that way but Mm -hmm. at the same time like defers to Buffy's judgment as like the caretaker and then you know like with Willow you know like you know wants to include her as a powerful Wicca but then when she realizes what happens tells her the stories of you know the two Wicca she knew and like manages to make it like seem like willow's even stronger because she was able to turn right. away when she these turns it were. into a compliment so like, yeah like like all of these things where it's like everything she does like even when she messes up she does it perfectly mm-hmm. you know and and so like yeah there is this sense of like you know it's it's really hard to hate her i mean acting wise i don't know that the actress is the best actress but character wise sure. you know like sam just is you know, sort of doing all the right things. And you can see why Riley fell for her eventually. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of that stuff. But, right, you know, whatever. And, I mean, who hasn't felt, like you were saying, like that thing of, you know, oh, so-and-so, you know, is at this particular stage in their life. Why am I not there? Right. And, you know... At the same time, you know, you never see how things are going in someone else's life. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You never you never get to see like until maybe years later when, you know, 
couples break up or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things fall apart or someone gets fired from their job. Like maybe, maybe things weren't as good as they appeared from the outside and, and, or, or maybe they were good, but then something else happened that, you know, mm-hmm. came in to tear it all apart or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. I, 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 all that to say, I, I agree. Like, I don't, I, I feel like there is, like based on that, there's a resolution at the end that we get. I mean, you know, we'll see how well it sticks, I guess. But, mm-hmm. but there is, I feel like, a transitional moment, just not necessarily a highly in-depth or metaphorical. Right. Right. <laughs> um. Uh, I you know Spike as this doctor fellow. Okay, like he yeah Spike stole some eggs and is trying to sell them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and it, it, it is again, like that plot is just in service of the turning point at the end of, okay, how do we get Buffy to the place where she can definitively make a break with Spike? So part of it is seeing, you know, Riley again and being forced into being a little bit more honest about, herself and where she's at and making some peace with where she's at and, and thinking about it a little bit more. Um, but part of it too is, um, you know, yet another, but a a reminder of that Spike is who he is and, you know, that she kind of, uh, you know, has to acknowledge the fact that, um, you know, it's significant that she says to Riley, like you said, just the power of the admission of I'm sleeping with him that like, she hasn't said that out loud. I don't think like even like Tara, like kind of worked things out. Like it kind of, they just sort of understood each other. This is Buffy really putting things very clearly. Um, and coming to the realization of, um, you know, saying to him in the end, you are who you are and that hasn't changed and isn't going to change even if we're together. And, you know, kind of her saying, uh, you know, putting out her, her perspective on the whole thing, which is I'm using you. Um, I can't love you. I'm just being weak and selfish and it's killing me. And, you know, I'm sorry, William, you know, using his real, his real name. And so kind of trying to be as compassionate about it as she can. It's not like one of the breakups they've had where she does it out of anger. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's done more deliberately than that. um, And more thoughtfully than that. And it's not done out of, you know, anger at him for what he's done. It's not about, the fact that he stole the eggs, it's more about the realization that, you know, he hasn't really changed. He is who he has been. Um, Sure. And, you know, I don't know that it was never really expressly said that that's why Buffy, it's not like Buffy, excuse me, my voice just broke. It's not that she was with him to try to change him, but it kind of seems like she, you know, is having some sort of realization of just because they are a couple doesn't mean he's going to become this, you know, 
soulful, you know, angel kind yeah. of person. Um, well, or, or that, I mean, like when Riley comes <laughs> in and, you know, she, she's, you see the difference between how they see Spike, right? Cause she's like, he's incompetent and helpless. Right. When that's not the case. And it's never actually been the case. Right. She's convinced herself of right. this, that because right. His harmlessness. he can't f- physically hurt her, yeah. that he's somehow useless. But like, like it takes me back to, I don't even remember what episode it was. Like there was a point where he was like trying to hire people to like assassinate Buffy because he couldn't, you know, directly, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, hello, like, evil. <laughs> like, right, I'm, right. I'm an evil guy here, you know, whatever. And, like, you know, he loves her, or so he says, and and maybe we believe him or whatever, but that doesn't change his evilness. Like, mm-hmm. he's still been doing stuff all along, you know, that. But then, you know, you get Riley's standpoint of, yeah, he's a soulless, evil vampire who is whatever. And so you see how divergent their views have become. And I think, you know, it's it's incremental and, and people's views of other people change over time. And, and thrown in that sort of stark contrast with the evidence, on, you know, on top of the evidence of what he actually did, you know, Buffy is sort of forced to acknowledge that, like, oh, yeah, like, mm-hmm. how did I get to this point? And is it, is that all part of the deception? Is believing, you know, did she, did she start believing that Spike was harmless because she's sleeping with him? Or was it the other way around? Like, mm-hmm. did, did she start sleeping with him? And then sort of that act, you know, made him seem less you know, dangerous or whatever. And for whatever reason, you know, now she's able to sort of like sweep that away and, and see clearly kind of through Riley's eyes, like, Oh yeah. Like this is actually not a good situation. Like I've been deceiving myself or allowing Spike to deceive me, which six of one half dozen of another. Right. Um, right. So, Anyway, um, so do you want to talk about the other characters at all? Sure. Quickly. I mean, I don't, I don't know Um, that there's a lot to say about any of them, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, with Dawn just kind of noted the little nods to the, like the, this isn't a criticism, but the slight overdoing it with her reminiscing with Riley, because you kind of realize they've never actually met each other before but in the kind of dawn alternate universe right like he right he he wasn't there when she showed up yeah am i wrong in season in season five he was still there that's right i got my time he left he he left in season five that's right that's right all right well then i'm i misread that because i forgot i felt like he'd already left so in my in my head, they were kind of meeting each other, but for the first time kind of thing. But sorry. Uh, never mind. Um, 
that was really the only thing I noticed with Don, to be honest with you. Um, with Willow, I mean, this stuff just kind of nodding to her repairing relationship with, with Tara, um, mm -hmm. you know, about, uh, if I did call, she wouldn't hang up and the kind of progress that they've made, um, and Willow kind of coming a little bit out of her shell again and not being quite so, um, you know, despondent as she was and recovering from her sort of addiction and everything, um, acting a little bit more like herself again. Um, and then Xander and Anya, they were pretty funny in this episode. The, the wedding, the, the wedding planning and, the, and yeah. The and, jitters. Yes. Um, you know, and the kind of, uh, parallels between Anya's demon friends and Xander's relatives as sort of equivalent wedding guests, you know, like, which is worse having right. you know that they're all kind of they're all going to stay in the house and it's going to be terrible um you know so uh yeah they were they were pretty funny and i think they said the wedding is the next episode in one week is what they said um oh did they and i don't think up until this point we knew exactly when the wedding was so um you know Unless there's maybe, maybe one, maybe the next episode takes place the next day. So I guess it doesn't have to be the next episode, but soon. The wedding is soon. Um, so, yes, I will be uh, looking forward to that. I will neither confirm nor deny. Because the next thing we're watching is Angel. This is true. <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, yeah, they are funny in this episode, and like I love like when they're in the car and Xander like asks, you know, like Cool Ranch, and I forget what flavor she says it is, but he just grabs a bag, like it doesn't matter anyway. Like yeah, there was no point in even asking what the flavor was because he was going to eat them regardless. Yeah, well, and she's saying stop stress eating as she reaches over and eats from the bag, you know. <laughs> Right. Um, Although you notice, like, as she, and I don't know if this is just because, you know, um, uh, sorry, the actress, I've heard names, I'll forget her names off the top of my head. Um, if, like, she just didn't want to eat, but she's, like, nibbling very, like, daintily. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, yeah. you know, Xander's just, like, shoveling it into his mouth. Right. Um, but, uh, anyway. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Um, the only other thing that I'll mention, um, not about any of them, but uh, just real briefly, we get a reminder that the trio is still out there somewhere, right. which we we haven't seen them in a while. Mm -hmm. um, when uh, Buffy makes like the comment about the triples, right? Yeah. Um, and then Riley's like, "What?" And she just sort of offhandedly says, "Oh, I've been." dealing with these geeks, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. And like, so just sort of a reminder that like, they're still in existence somewhere. Yeah. We don't, we don't know where they are or what they're doing or when they may come back, but, um, you know, they haven't, they haven't been driven fully away. Anymore. No, no. So. All right. Cool. Well, 
went long on on the BSG stuff, but I think we made up That's here. That's okay. <laughs> um, uh, so um, the the there was a website at one point. I don't know if it still even exists anymore. Called the Buffy phenomenon. Mm. That um, refer that that in in reviewing this episode says now that the worst episode of the sixth season has aired, it's all uphill from here. <laughs> so um, just just to share that we're not the only ones who maybe um, were less than impressed with the episode, uh-huh. but you know it's. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say because like. I'm not of the ilk that like everything falls apart after like season three or four. Sure. Um, so, you know, I think there are some really good episodes in, you know, these last couple seasons here. Um, it definitely has a different tone overall. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure when we get to the point where we're talking about Buffy season six, you know, arcs and themes and whatever, like we'll go back and forth. But um, this definitely feels like, like even though I understand why it's here and it sort of shakes Buffy out of the funk that you know, and frankly a funk that she's been in mm-hmm. since the beginning of the season, right? Like I mean, with her coming back to life and yeah, all of that. Like there's definitely been sort of this something just sort of hanging over her, even even though like at this point she's now like at least now she's not like I want to die again anymore, but. <laughs> Like we're we're quite a ways from that, but but she isn't like sort of fully living yet either, mm-hmm. right? So so maybe this is a bit of a turning point there as well to like kind of bring her back right. around to something more than just the daily drudgery of the double meat palace and slaying and all of that, and like give her more of a sense of purpose and. You know, we'll we'll see where that goes. Right. I'm not right. trying to give any hints or anything here, but you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. So, all right. Well, we will be talking about Angel next week. Uh, Sleep tight is the name of that episode, and we'll be we'll be back then. Sounds good. See you then. <laughs>